Hello and welcome to Hot Water, a podcast by coworkers where we discuss the future of work and workspaces. My name is Pauline Roussel and I will be your host for the show. For this first episode, we are delighted to have Bailey Richardson, partner at People and Company and co-author of the amazing book Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People. With Bailey, we spoke about the power of community in the workplace, what community actually means, why it matters, and how to start and grow one. Are you ready? Let's call Bailey. Hello, hello. Hi, Bailey. How are you? I'm great. I'm, I mean, weirdest year of my life. Absolutely. As I'm sure many people feel the same, but personally, I'm, I'm good. I'm happy this morning. I'm by a lake right now. So uh, enjoying that. That sounds uh, really nice. I'm really, really excited and happy to have you as our first guest for our very first podcast. Um, I would love to start our conversation by getting to know you a little bit more. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, happy to. My name's Bailey. I'm uh, based in New York City, born and raised in California. And very early in my career, I had this remarkable experience of being one of the first, I was, think I was the eighth employee at Instagram. And I started working at that company and I had community in my title. And back in those early days of, of working at that, that app, um, people really loved it. You know, um, it was the era of iPhoneographers. Very, very mm. first time we had nice cameras on our phone and people were being creative and seeing photos of people waking up in Japan um, or, you know, someone having dinner in Spain. And, and it was this really beautiful place. And I ran the editorial for the site for a long time. So that Instagram account, and we later launched accounts in Spanish and Russian and, um, and all around the world featuring amazing Instagrammers and did a lot of different work with what we called the Instagram community to cultivate the Instagram community. And after that experience, I had a lot of people asking me about what we did at Instagram. I think in part because the app was sort of a total phenomenon um, and also because it really did feel quite special in the early days, the way people treated each other, the sense of connection you could find with someone else who shared an interest with you or a passion with you, the ability to meet a stranger and make a bond. And I felt that I had only really had one experience building a community. And I sort of assembled a team of people who are two very close friends of mine, um, one of whom is Kevin Huynh, who was the first employee at a chapter-based community called Creative Mornings, which started in New York and is now, I think, in over 250 cities around the world. So wow. Kevin was the first employee there and helped it grow from New York City to more than 100 cities, kind of handled the application process for anyone who wanted to open a Creative Mornings chapter, made sure they had all their contracts and knew how to host a great event. Um, and then my other business partner is a man named Kai, who worked at eBay in the early days, which had a very thriving community and later worked more analytically with data and with growth at Facebook. And so we sort of formed this little team with a question in mind, which was, can we get smarter and clearer about how to build a community? Not necessarily like, what is a community? Why do we need them? But how do you build one in really simple terms? Uh, and so we started People and Company, our little company, and we do that work with big companies like Nike and Porsche and small startups like Substack or 
foundations like the Surfrider Foundation, we help them as teams get clearer on what who their community is and how to supercharge those communities. Um, and then we also host a podcast. So we interview community <laughs> leaders that inspire us to learn from their work. And we've published a book that's a, a handbook, a guidebook, a very hopefully simple step-by-step uh, -step guide for how to build communities. So our whole North Star is, can we do a better job of teaching people how to do this? Because we care about it and we've seen its power. Um, and then also, you know, can we inspire more people through storytelling as well to start their own communities? It's uh, actually a great bridge to my next question because uh, Get Together was my first read uh, of 2020. I, uh, <laughs> yes, I really <laughs> loved it. Um, I, I think I read it in a day. I couldn't get, uh, like, I couldn't put Aww. it aside. I really had to read it. It was just uh, resonating a lot with me and I just took so much notes. I found it really interesting. And I also wanted people from the co-working world to get to know about it uh, mm -hmm. because I believe this is very useful for any community manager uh, right now listening to this podcast and seeking ways of shaping their communities, or strengthening their communities. Um, just out of curiosity, how did the idea of writing the book uh, came to life? Yeah, well, thank you for reading. It's, it's wild to write a book because you realize people spend, you know, a couple hours with your mind, with your thinking. Mm. And so every time someone tells me that they've read the book, it it's really meaningful because we spent so much time deciding on each word and, you know, kind of putting it together. <laughs> but the book came out from, a, I think, a, a need that any community builder would recognize, which is that sometimes talking about community building can feel very abstract and hard to pin down. Uh, so everybody knows, like, intuitively what a community is. And perhaps if you have a business or an organization, you might have an instinct around, like, what community building could mean for your organization. Um, but we found, like, a real lack of shared language. Talking about how to build a community can mean that conversations can fly off in all sorts of different directions. And it's very hard to actually just have a focused discussion around what we should be doing now and what questions we need to answer to do that well. So we actually, with our very first client, realized that we needed to create this shared language. And what is the book today was a presentation that we would give at the beginning of any sort of project we did with a group of people was to just reveal to them what steps go into building a community so that we can have a shared language and a shared imagination of the work. And so we sort of just started then writing these essays and we thought that it would be a, like a zine that we would like hand out. And then it just became a very long zine <laughs> and a very professional zine. <laughs> and we became very proud of it and sort of, you know, never really intended to be authors. I think in some ways, for whatever reason, maybe imposter syndrome, um, maybe because of us not having many people in our lives who'd been authors, but it just wasn't our end goal was to be an author. Um, the end goal was to get information out there that people really wanted and needed and to write a book for a group of people that we knew needed a book. And it just ended up sort of coming together where we found the perfect publisher and someone who really let us publish the book we wanted to publish, which can be kind of rare and, and had this wonderful experience of making a real beautiful physical book uh, and getting it out to the world. So yeah, it basically came from a need 
a very simple need of shared language around how to build a community and trying to bridge that gap ourselves and then wanting to do it with more people. Yeah, as I said earlier, I, I really like through what you just said and the reading of the book myself, I really feel the passion that you guys put through all the Thank chapters. You. So congratulations also on, on putting it out. It's an amazing book. So I would also love to deep dive into the topic of community now. Uh, over the last four years, my co-founder and I, we traveled around the world of co-working spaces and we visited more than 400 of them. Wow. And yeah, that's uh, quite a journey and we really <laughs> loved it. And what's interesting is that through the conversation we had with all the co-working spaces managers or owners, we realized that community building is one of the hardest thing, if not the hardest thing of all. Mm. Through your own experience, how and why should one start with building a community? Yeah, those are two very big questions, how and why. <laughs> so maybe I'll break them. Maybe I'll break them apart and answer each yeah. of them. For the why, I think there's probably a lot of different, maybe like really specific reasons that an organization or a business might want to build a community. And I do think it's important to get clear on that. There are like kind of business conversations we could have about that. Uh, but I think if you start at the highest level, I feel like alone we are limited and with others, we can really expand our capacity. If we're talking within, I think, the co-working specific lane, there's only in some ways so much you can do as a community manager, just as one individual that is tasked with bringing a group of maybe hundreds of people together. Or, you know, I don't know what the scale is for, for you or for the listener, but getting other people to feel like co-owners in building the culture of the space and participants it will make the space more meaningful for those individuals, for the small clusters of people around them. And also it will help you do your job in the best way possible. I think one person trying to build the culture of a space is just very limited in, in what you can do. So I'm just kind of like a team type person, a collaborator type person. And I think in the world, we have options of going it alone or options of extreme hierarchy. And for me, community building is like team building, giving roles and responsibilities, making space for people to do more of something that they're passionate about anyway, or would bring value into their life. And so I think that to me is, is this idea of building a team. And if you think that that can help you do your work or achieve your goals, community building is a great approach. You also asked me about how do you want to ask me that question uh, yeah. yeah sorry it's more like how to start because yeah. you feel sometimes for certain co-working spaces it's pretty overwhelming yeah so in your own experience working with so many communities how do you see them uh, starting a community yeah absolutely it's it's a great question and i think one that especially when you're working in the context of a job people often resist the answer because they think it's too small, too simple. Um, but the way you start is you look for people who are really, really passionate. So you, you need to like know your audience, uh, like do the work to get to know, maybe in this case, the people in your co-working space and understand who of those people may raise their hand to do more in the space. As we like to say, you can't, 
You can't fake the funk. You can't fabricate passion. There are some people that maybe do want to help or do want to do more or kind of get the value of like a meaningful internal culture or getting to know the people they're working next to. And there might be people that just don't have time or don't have the energy or aren't the personality type to do that. And so one of the key questions that you need to answer early on is who is going to be in this community? Who's going to help me most importantly, get it off the ground? Can't do it alone. So who are the early allies? And that might be just five people. It might be like a very small number of people at first, but identifying those really passionate folks from the sea of people that you're considering building a community with is is absolutely the first step. They're kind of the nodes in the network. And the other thing I would say is worth considering, and we talked to big organizations about this is this is a longer term investment. Building a community isn't going to just happen overnight. It, it does take time. And so mm-hmm. I think in the context of co-working, you might want to think about who's going to be maybe around, who's who's going to be there for a while. These, these shouldn't be people that, as far as you can tell, might just flitter in and out of the community. You're looking for folks that are going to be around for a little while that you can build this with. So the the number one question to think about is who? Mm-hmm. Again, who brings the passion and, and who's going to be there for a while? Who are you going to be able to stick with um, for a while? And from there, get to know those people. We, we bring in these sort of nodes in the network um, to actually, when, before COVID, to sit there with companies, big companies, organizations, and and we interview them and we learn more about what it is that they're seeking from the space, what it is that they want more of from the space. And that is an example of the key thesis of our book, which is building with people. So community building um, is really an act of finding shared intrinsic motivation with other people in your space think there's a big a big sense especially in our professional lives that we need to pay people for things or that we need to like sort of return value to people in extrinsic ways but like I said this is why it's so important to find people who are passionate about building a community and the space with you is you need to find people who actually care about doing this work and figure out what pieces of building community in the co-working space might be exciting to them and as you start to get to know those roles or those interests, uh, you can kind of start to think through what makes the most sense for you to start with, programs to start, roles to offer those people. Um, and I think I'll just end by emphasizing that the community building practice is a practice of building with other passionate people, not building for them. So thinking about how you can do more with others every step of the way. So that means as a community manager of a space, ideally you're not the only host of the events in your space. You might have a co-host or you might bring other people in to just not necessarily doing all the hard work, but to be an important participant and creator of the culture in your space. It's interesting because you answered a few of the questions I also had in my mind in just one question. Um, there's also in the co-working world always some sort of a debate regarding community curation and whether mm. you are open for everybody or whether yeah. you should specifically stick to, let's say, a community in particular, people who are writers, people who are marketers. Um, and for people who are open to everyone, they often wonder or ask us, does community building require curation? Mm. Um, do you have an answer to that question? Yeah, first off, I, I love that question. I think it's a great question. 
Um, and I think there's a reason people ask it, which is I sometimes feel like people who work in the community profession are people that community building is very important in their personal lives. And that might be because of some experience growing up or just understanding. I think for me, it's it's really important on a personal level because of my brother. He He grew up with a lot of learning disabilities and he struggled socially in school. And I I had an easier time, but I remember sort of feeling the pain of seeing my brother not be included or be treated in ways that was that were hurtful to me. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who work in the community profession want to resist exclusion and want to be as accessible as possible. And at the same time, also understand making meaningful human connections between two people that might really have a reason to meet each other. So there is this tension, I think, in the space around like curating people and also wanting to be accessible that I think is a really important tension and makes sense. So just to acknowledge that, I I, I think it I understand sort of both sides. And I would say that that said, I do think curation makes sense in community building, not as an act necessarily of accessibility or inaccessibility, um, but I think one of your jobs as a community leader is to elevate like best practices in the community, elevate role models, and kind of have folks within the community demonstrate to other people who are less involved what involvement looks like. And so I think curation really stands out to me in in that regard. When I think about the word curation, there's a lot of connotation there from the art world and and from internet curation, but I, I sort of see it in the community profession as seeing everything, everything going on in, in your world, all the people in your world, and knowing when to pull out and elevate certain people uh, so that they can help the group overall or demonstrate something to the group overall. So I think within that context, there are spaces and opportunities to set the culture through curation. And I think the other thing I'll say is that curation, I also think makes sense when people want a safe space. Mm -hmm. So there might be topics that are not safe to have everyone attend. Um, In the U.S. right now, I think in particular that shows up about race. There's a lot of tension and a lot of his like just historical pain of different people having to explain things to different races, uh, certain folks being less in the know and the ability to say design conversations around race by curating who talks to each other also just allows people in the community to be safe. So I would say that I think curation shows up, yes, in community building and different reasons to do it. Number one is like maybe figuring out who the role models are, the early members of the community or people that continue to just show up in really remarkable ways that can inspire the rest of the group. So I think kind of elevating people who are leaders is an act of curation that's important to do. And then I also think in moments where maybe smaller subgroup needs more privacy in order to feel safe. It is also your job to curate those groups in those moments. 
earlier in the conversation, you said community builders should build their community with people and not just for people. Yeah. Um, what is the secret to actually do it with them and not just for them? Huh. Well, <laughs> the first thing I would say is we talk to a lot of community builders through our coaching hours. So we, we do a podcast where we interview people who are, are more further, further along in the process where we kind of feature their stories. But on a regular basis, we do one hour coaching sessions, mostly with grassroots and nonprofit community builders. And one thing that just stands out is there is a mindset shift that has to kick in at some point. So you might have started a choir and you found the space, you came up with the music that you're going to sing, you did the arrangement, you did the ticketing software, and it was all your work to really like just get the first one going. And at some point, you have to actually change that foundational orientation of I did all this to get it off the ground to how do I make this scale? How do I make this sustain by bringing other people into the fold? And I think one of the challenges is just making that punctuated mind shift of understanding like once you have the processes in place and once you have the fundamentals in place for whatever it is you're offering to a community of people, how do you start to think like a community builder, which is to say, how do I do more with these people, give people roles, responsibilities, opportunities at every stage instead of just doing it all myself. So to give one example, this, this woman was actually on our podcast. There's a woman named Liz Alpern, who is a chef in New York City. And there's been obviously so much political stuff going on in the United States over the last years. And about three years ago, Trump signed an executive order that was banning Muslims from certain countries from coming in to the United States. And people were showing up at airports and protesting. And Liz wanted to do something. And she's a queer woman. And she started this thing called Queer Soup Night. As a chef, she was like, you know what? I want to nourish these people that are out there doing this activism. So I'm going to make soup. It's easy to make. I love soup. People can do a suggested donation. It'll be a party and all the money will go to one activist organization. And Liz hosted the first one herself. She cooked the soup. It was a friend's cafe. She did all the promotional work. And the next step for her was to bring in more chefs. So she got someone else to make a soup eventually. And then she got volunteers from the community to be the hosts at the door and then someone moved to another city and she taught them how to host them in those other cities. And she's just relentlessly diversifying responsibility within the group now that there is momentum. So I think that mindset shift is one of the biggest challenges for people is to begin to think about not how do I just accomplish my tasks in a silo, but how do I enable other people? to do this, to do something they care about. And that's that I think can just be a hard challenge for people to possibly like shift back and forth from those mindsets of doing it and just like knocking out my own tasks or my own responsibilities 
and beginning to help other people contribute and participate. Speaking of uh, challenges, since the beginning of the year, mm. uh, COVID-19 has hit the entire world and it has brought opportunities, which we will talk about in a second, but also a lot of challenges for co-working spaces, yeah. especially uh, now uh, that spaces are reopening, people are going back to their workplace. Uh, we hosted an event in May uh, online, which was called Hack Coworking Online, cool. um, where we gathered more than 100 coworking communities to the event, and we discussed what the future of coworking might look like in a post-COVID world. And what was interesting was that many of them were talking about the fact that they feel the members lost a little bit a sense of mm. trust to the workplace. They are not yet fully trusting that they can return safely to the workplace. And this, of course, has an impact on community because they cannot meet so yeah. much. Uh, they don't come back to the place, so they cannot catch up on what's happening and how to support them best when they see each other face to face. Mm. Do you have any tips on how to approach this rebuilding sense of trust for community builders? Yeah. Yeah, well, first off, I, I want to acknowledge that this is not a simple challenge. And I have some ideas. But for anyone who's feeling down or frustrated right now, like it's a really hard time. And I do think this is a very big change. And, and we are all navigating a world that I think many of us thought would, wouldn't ever exist. So just to acknowledge that I know that what you're going through is probably hard and it makes sense that it's hard. But I think the number one thing that I encourage people to do is to try to understand why people in your community would want to connect to each other today, which I think has shifted for a lot of groups. So for example, I play on a basketball team in New York, which like a co-working space might be assumed to be a very physical experience. Like basketball doesn't kind of translate to just being on video chat with each other, the the experience of playing basketball physically is is part of the, the joy. And the shift of doing a shared activity, like a shared hobby, like a hobby that I love with with friends, that's not available anymore. And what I really need is maybe fun in my life. Like I'm missing fun. So how as the community leader of that group, how can you take an insight about what your group really needs right now and think about how to bring them together online with that in mind. And when I hear trust as a challenge, if, if, it's, if you, we need to rebuild trust, maybe that's a challenge. I think that it's important to rethink the format if that's the goal. If, if we need to reestablish a sense of you are a part of this community, like we care about you, we're thinking about you, and here's here's how we're going to move forward. It might take one-on-one -on -one work to do that instead of just hosting events or things for a big number of people. And I think in this this moment in time, community managers at co-working spaces, in fact, have like never been more important than to do the work of sort of knowing members and catching up with them, thinking of them, connecting them to each other at the right times, making sure communication is flowing. But I think with challenges like trust or a sense of loneliness, sometimes 
big flashy events or programming aren't what are going to overcome that challenge, the more intimate things will help you get over a challenge like that. And then on the other side, maybe you can do more fun things together. But the number one thing that I, I think is to get really clear about what it is that your people need more of um, from the space, from each other, and then to think about how to design programming that actually accomplishes that goal instead of just copy and pasting in something that you've seen from elsewhere, which I think often leads to a lot of people doing things that feel like marketing events, which isn't always what members maybe really need or want. So yeah, so just to say, I think getting really clear about what people are craving is important and don't skip that step of learning from your members. The final thing I'll add maybe really quickly in this, one of the biggest learnings I had about thriving communities is that they have these things called shared activities which are repeatable activities that happen every Friday, every Thursday, every first Thursday. They're things people can put on their calendar and rely on. And often they're activities that someone really wants to do anyway. So I do an article club now in COVID where a group of small friends and I, one of us picks an article, we read it and we talk about it um, on Sundays. And I want to learn anyway. I want to read. I want to be exposed to ideas in the world. I want to spend time with those people. And we do it every Sunday and we don't miss it. And I think that's just another thing that I would really encourage folks to think about is what is an activity that is fun, is enjoyable, is something people want to do over and over again for your group that you stick to that you put in the calendar that's always available to people every Friday, whether they show up or not. That is a really important part of being the shepherd of a group of people is making a space that they know they can go to when they want to connect with others and that it's available to them. And I think in a time like now, that is even more important and people are even more likely to show up if you can build momentum around a consistent event. Another thing that COVID actually allowed co-working spaces to do is to shift their communities online. Um, yeah. Because of course, most of their spaces, depending on the regions of the world, but most in most countries, co-working spaces had to shut down their doors for the time yeah. of the quarantine. So in order to still add value and keep close to their members, they shifted online. Now that we are entering the post-COVID-19 mm. world, there is a challenge that's coming towards community managers mm. and it's how to find the balance between managing community in the physical space, but also community that are online because certain members didn't come back yet to the workplace or because by opening up the membership to online, it also allowed people who are not necessarily in the city, but maybe yeah. in the outskirts to suddenly become part of the co-working community. And for many community managers, the digital world is a bit scary because it's very different from the daily physical uh, contact. So how can you find a balance when you build a community between doing it offline and online? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. I think a few years ago, a lot of people in the community building world talked about community building as like, are you an online community builder or an offline community builder? And I think increasingly the reality is most communities have a little bit of both. In fact, um, communities that are primarily online often find themselves wanting to meet in person to affirm 
the meaning of that online space. And people that are primarily offline, I'm sure as we've as we've learned through COVID in the co-working space, it sounds like online tools can also really help to support and supplement the, the offline reality of your lives, just to coordinate it or to make sure other people can participate or plug in. So I think that this word balance is a really important word to focus on. And <laughs> I, I would say that I don't know that I have a simple answer to explain what every different co-working space might find as the right balance for your, your people will reveal that to you. I would have an assumption that part of the reason people come to a co-working space is because they're unsatisfied with sitting alone and working. And that sense of almost physical embodiment of knowing another person who is also like sort of theoretically virtually in the same space as them or actually physically in the same space as them is is the reason why they come to a co-working space. So I think no matter what, to me, it seems like the North Star of maybe a co-working community builder is to make the sense of offline be as rich as possible, whether you're in a world that is actually able to be in person or you're using the internet to create that. How do you really bring the humanity and reality of the people in the space to the surface? And just having messaging threads that are ongoing, like Slack channels or Discord or forums are enough to do that. I think that they're really great tools and they do do a lot for people. But I think you should take this principle of shared activities to the virtual space as well. Something maybe kind of that sense of physical embodiment is important. Something that, you know, someone shares a little bit about their life through video, shows up on video, something a little bit more with more space for conversation. But I think bringing those tools into even if the whole world does come back offline and is meeting in person, bringing those tools and skill sets, I think will only improve the ability to build a community even when it's fully offline. But I think having that understanding of what is the goal for me here and how can these different tools do this and which are the most effective um, is like the mindset to go through. Offline and online events are tools. Right now you might be constrained as to ones, ones you have available to you, but sort of understanding for your people which tools are the best is an iterative process. For the last chapter, uh, if I can call it this way of the podcast, I would love to talk about growth because earlier we spoke about how to start the community, then we shifted to how to engage with your community. So now it's all about how to grow it. And for this part, we actually decided when we prepared the podcast to ask our community if they had any questions for you. Mm. And uh, we picked three of them. The first one was, what have you seen as interesting ways to grow communities? Yeah, well, it's fun to have questions from the community. So thanks for asking <laughs> these. You know, the number one thing that grows a community is to create more leaders within the community and to create more roles for those people. And those could be tiny roles. So, for instance, there's a, a workout community in the United States called November Project. And it was started by two guys who had done a, a sport in college and they really missed that sense of teamwork and being with the team. 
in their exercising. And they decided to start hosting public workouts in Boston really early in the morning in the winter. And they had a bunch of personality and vibrancy to what they were doing. And soon like hundreds of people were showing up all wearing these bright t-shirts working out together. And they did this really smart thing, which was uh, start this culture called Recruit Everybody. And they it, they made really clear to the community that one of their goals was that November Project was better with more people there. And they would love to get more folks involved. And they had a bunch of different ways that people could help with that. And one of those was um, they would make very simple by hand have parties to make little flyers, which were like pieces of cardboard where they would invite people to the next November project event. And people would carry these around and hand them out to cab drivers or like run down running trails in their cities and pass them out. And that's like a marketing push. But what I see in it as a community builder is they understood that if more people come, this is good for the community. We're gonna make that really clear so that people can get on board with us and then give some structure to how people can contribute to that goal. So here's you know, a shared asset we can make together to help get the word out. And we're gonna have parties where we do that and we focus on that. So I think it's important for community members, existing community members to one, value the community and number two, be excited by growing it, by letting more people know about it if you want to grow the community in an organic way. Like they need a role in bringing people in and they need like a clear goal. So that's, that I think is the most like community oriented way of growing is, is working with your members to grow the group sort of organically. There are a lot of other tactics, which I'm not as much of an expert on in terms of like ads and marketing and kind of finding, I think, partner marketing and all of those I'm sure also really work. But the number one approach of community building is kind of looking at you are, who you already have relationships with and seeing like, is there is there a reason why they would be excited about bringing their friends into the space? How can I make that more exciting or more exciting for them to share, more exciting that for them to contribute to. And so that that sort of like working with your existing people to grow the space is what I always encourage folks to think about. The second question we picked um, is, can a great community manager be replicated by training and education or it depends on one's original character and talent? Oh, God. Wow. That is a <laughs> big human question. It is. Um, yeah, I, I think probably a little bit of probably a little bit of both uh you know i think there's a lot that people can learn in terms of skills and tasks and some people are good at at learning quickly some people learn more slowly and i've i've hired people on all ends of the spectrum i think the one thing though that you can't fake is is true curiosity about human beings and i think that almost sounds redundant to maybe a group like the one listening to this podcast but you know, my brother and my father are mechanics and my business partner, Kevin, and I were with my family and Ke Kevin was talking to my brother and dad about cars. They couldn't stop talking about cars. And I remember Kevin saying to my brother, man, you're so passionate about cars. And Kevin was like, <laughs> and my brother said back to Kevin, well, yeah, what are you passionate about? And Kevin's reply was, I don't know, people. 
<laughs> and I just, I just think there's something about that fascination of what are people excited about? Where do you come from? Like, how did you get here? Why are you here? That you have to like listen and be driven to know and help people. And I think a fairly intrinsic way um, in order to do the little details of this work well. Um, I think there are other things that depending on the skill set that's needed for the work, you can train or not train. I've, I've done a fair amount of community building where the community manager, the community lead needs to be a great writer. And I think there is maybe sometimes where people just aren't strong enough at writing and can't quite train them to the point that we need them to be at. But I think those skills might vary from place to place exactly what skills they need and how difficult they are to develop. So the most important thing I think is to understand how curious people are about other human beings and, and how caring they are about human beings and how intrinsic that is for them. For the last question, I would actually like to put things in perspective because everybody seek growth in community. Coworking spaces want to have more members. But uh, what we've noticed is that they are also very afraid about growth because when mm. the community scales and when the community grow, they suddenly feel that they are losing a hold of it or that if it yeah. grows too much, they won't get to know everyone or they would get to you know, add as much value as they were uh, adding before. So how can one actually embrace growth and what kind of opportunities do you see in community growth? Uh, well, first, first, I do want to also say that in tech land and in business land, people talk about growth in a few different ways. The new people that you have and also the people that you keep around, you know, there's value in more members because you have new heads in the space, but also remembering, too, that the people that continue to stay and stick around are also extremely valuable. And I, I when working on a tech product, you realize that act of retaining people is actually the most essential part of any business. If people, new people come in and they don't want to stay, then you lose people. It's like a leaky bucket and your business doesn't have very much leg to stand on. So I, I do want to just like emphasize that it's so important to make yeah. sure that people are really happy in the space first and foremost. And that is part of the challenge of say you want to grow a business how do you add more people into the space and continue to have it be valuable? And I think this is, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but this is why starting to cultivate leaders within the space is so important because there's only so much that you can do as one big giant chunk of people in a co-working space and creating smaller subgroups and creating smaller constituencies that people can feel like they'll be noticed if they're not there or they don't show up. That's really important. Otherwise, members can float in and out and feel like they're never noticed. And so I think that's one of the big things around activating sort of nodes in your network of real people in the space who are hosting something like an article club or um you know, are a part of presenting or leading activities or have some sense of sort of skin in the game and co-ownership of the space is that those members can create sort of subgroups that will allow for like the intimacy and meaning as you grow um, that will be hard for you to do as a big, big group. So I think, you know, often people talk about eight to 12 people is the size that 
you know, a, a small group can actually have an engaged conversation where everybody's participating. And I just think about how can you give people roles to help support the intimacy of the space as you add more and more people. And maybe it's your job as a community manager to welcome people as cohorts and set up those small groups, but they can function with the support of more veteran people in the space or people who are really passionate about the culture of the space. If you can give them roles that they're happy to fulfill to kind of steward and bring people together over and over. So just trying to figure out ways to continue senses of intimacy, even as the overall number of people in the space grow. How have you made small groups and activities available to people where they feel like if they don't show up, someone will notice and that they're integral to that group? I couldn't agree more to everything you said. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really something we also noticed that growth doesn't necessarily mean that you lose hold of everything, but actually you can really, by having smaller groups inside the big group, you can really get a lot of value out of everyone. And by also bridging those different little groups that form inside um, your community, there's a lot of magic happening around that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing so much uh, valuable insights. I'm sure all the listeners will take many, many notes. I also invite them to get your book, go on Amazon, go on their website, get together and order it like you won't regret it. I also loved it myself. So yeah, thank you. And I hope we'll get the chance to see each other in real life uh, so we can keep the conversation running. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It was a real treat. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bailey. Enjoy your time in the cabin. Thank you. that's a wrap thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed this very first episode of hot water a podcast about community entrepreneurship co-working and workspaces brought to you by co-workies in order not to miss all our upcoming conversations press the subscribe button and to keep up with us check out the links in the description of this episode One last little thing, don't be shy and reach out to us anytime to suggest people to talk with on the podcast. See you in the next episode.